This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. It was really just a matter of going through every single line item and, and thinking about how important that was to us. Like, Did it make us feel good to spend money towards that thing? And was spending money towards that thing more valuable than the alternative, which for us was buying our freedom sooner rather than later. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do two things. First, I'm going to share with you five ways young parents can plan for future college costs. And second, we are back with our mortgage freedom segment. This week, we're featuring Julian and Kirsten Saunders. This 30-something couple paid off their mortgage of around 100000 bucks in less than three years. Yeah. And that mortgage freedom has now propelled them into incredible conversations together about their future financial independence. You are going to love this story. They've got passion. They've got plans. And they're taking their young family to the next level. All right. Let's jump into today's show. The future cost of college is no joke, my friends. According to Vanguard, the average rate of inflation for college costs has been about 5% in recent years. 5%. As an example, my alma mater, Michigan State University, in 2019, this year, it costs around $25,000 per year for an in-state student. This includes tuition, fees, room, and board. What is board, by the way? Does anybody know what that is? What is a board? (laughs) I tried to look that up. I get the room. Does that mean it's furnished? Anyway, room and board. (laughs) If you know what board is, just email me, please. (laughs) Anyway, that's around a hundred thousand bucks for four years of an in-state tuition for my son or my daughter. If they were going to be going to school today, but they're not going to school today. My friends, they're going to have that 5% inflation tacked on for the next Oh, 11 years and 13 years. So let's fast forward to the year 2030. There's going to be flying cars and and my daughter's going to college. <laughs> She's going to be starting her freshman year. And 5% inflation on that $100,000 in 2030 comes to $184,000. Uh. <laughs> and then... Add my son into the mix, who will be attending in 2032, flying cars and flying skateboards. And well, I, I always think about like flying stuff when I think about the future. Maybe it was back to the future. I'm an 80s kid. Anyway, he's going to need $203,000. So I'm looking at $387,000 for my two children to eat, sleep, and learn during four years of college. Oh my God. (laughs) I don't know about you, 
but that number just makes my head hurt. So much so that I just want to throw my hands up in the air and quit. I mean, it's really deflating. That is so much money. But I love my kids too much, and I know how important college can be in this country. A study by Georgetown University found that college graduates earn $1 million more over their lifetime than high school graduates. College leads to more education, more connections, and more money. I can say this for a fact. I would not have the career and the lifestyle that I have today if it weren't for my time in college. So... What are we going to do? How are we going to cover almost $400,000 for our two kids to attend college and graduate debt-free? Well, honestly, I have no idea. (laughs) But here are five things that we're going to try. Number one, start a 529 college savings plan early. Since the cost of college is rising at 5% per year, We're going to need to chase that increase by investing in the stock market. That's where the 529 college savings account comes into play. This investment tool allows parents to invest in stocks, bonds, and real estate through a state-sponsored program. We take advantage of our state program here in Michigan. And depending on where you invest your money, the 529 college savings account has the ability to massively outgrow the interest made with a traditional savings account. And that has been the case for us since we started our 529 savings for our Zoe when she was born. And we started with a $10,000 initial deposit. And you don't need to do that. I think you could start depending on your state or the state plan you work with can be as little as 25 bucks. We went with 10,000 bucks. I had a bonus around that time for work. And I said, I'm going to allocate that for my daughter as we do this 529. But anyway, seven years later, with the additional annual contributions, we're around $37,000 in her account. So taking advantage of the market and letting it grow and, you know, contributing each year, we we probably put in around 2000 bucks per year. If I were to have left that money into a traditional savings account, making around, oh, 0.1%, her balance would be around 25,000 bucks. So that might not seem like a huge difference, $37,000 to 25,000. But let's fast forward 11 more years again in our flying car space portal when she starts school, that difference is going to become a lot bigger, obviously depending on what the market does. But conservatively, if we say 7% per year, which is a conservative amount, she'll have around $113,000 at the start of college. If we went with the traditional savings account route, we're just throwing it into a savings account and let it go, she'd have around $47,000. So look at that difference, $113,000 versus $47,000. Obviously, we'll see what happens with the market. We'll see how we plan. But all in all, compound interest pays. So if you want to beat that inflation, take advantage of a 529. All right, number two, encourage kids to work and contribute. Even with our ability to start our kids' 529 accounts early, we're still not going to have enough to help them graduate debt-free. That's why we want to help them understand that they are a part of this equation as well. 
For the last few years, we've developed a chore and reward program for our little kids. They get up every Saturday morning and they complete three kid-sized Yet very important chores around the house. They received a dollar equivalent to their age. So Zoe gets seven bucks because she's seven. Calvin gets five bucks because he's five. And as they get older, the chores will get more difficult and they will receive more money. Kind of like life, right? (laughs) Their money gets split up between multiple jars. We've got spend, save, give, which we do a parent match for that. A new one, which we've added, invest which we also do a parent match. And then the next one, which is coming soon, college. Yes, we are going to have a jar where our kids contribute to their future college costs. Yes, they're doing work for their parents and the money's really coming from us back to them into their jar, which is essentially us putting the money into 529. But it's the point of the, the whole exercise. They're earning money from the house and we're showing them that they are a part of it. They are part of the contribution that is going to make them going to college happen, make them have the ability to become student debt-free. By developing habits of contribution and allocating money towards important areas of their lives, I'm thinking our kids are going to understand good money management skills and they're truly going to become a contributing partner in this future debt-free college life. And when they're old enough to get jobs, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, we'll encourage the same distribution of their cash, spend, save, give, invest, and college. Right now, we're doing this process with cash, but as the kids get older, we're going to look at online debit card tracking systems like FAMZU. This will help them keep better track of their money in this extremely digital, fast-paced world we live in. I'll put a link to FAMZU in the show notes if you guys want to check them out. Number three, have your teen apply for scholarships. Thinking back on this, the easiest $2,000 I ever made was completing a college scholarship application when I was in my undergraduate at Michigan State University. Since I was making nine bucks an hour folding ugly sweaters at Eddie Bauer during that time, 2000 bucks for a few hours worth of work was well worth it. Now, not everyone hits the $2,000 jackpot on the first application. That's why we're going to encourage our kids to do a lot of them. It's free money just waiting to be earned. I interviewed Pam Andrews on the show about how she helped her son earn $300,000 in private scholarships. Yes, you heard me right, $300,000. And if she could do it, I feel pretty confident that my kids can score at least a tenth of that to support their academic plans. Pam had her son fill out 147 applications. Yeah, 147 applications. And he only received six awards. But those six awards netted him $300,000. Talk about a full ride. And then some, man. I'll put that link in the show notes as well for that interview with Pam Andrews. Number four, go for two years of community college first. If all else fails, there is absolutely nothing wrong with our kids attending a couple years of community college. The average cost of community college tuition and fees, no room and board this time, in the 2018-2019 school year was around $3,600, while a four-year public university came in at $10,000. Now, that is a huge difference in money. For a lot of community colleges, 
you're able to take a lot of those prerequisite courses that you need to take at the university level and then just have them qualify if you choose to transfer over. So example, if you go to community college in Lansing, where I went to school versus the university, Michigan State University, a lot of those prerequisite courses then transfer over if you decide to make the choice to go to the larger university. This way, our kids would be taking care of the early coursework at a much cheaper amount. And there's something to figuring it out in community college, in my opinion. Personally, I had no freaking clue what I wanted to do at 18 years old, right? And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of 18-year-olds or former 18-year-olds that can hear me. I, I actually still don't know what I want to do at 37, but that's that's beside the point. <laughs> the point is, why spend top dollar when you're just figuring it out, right? Number five, encourage working in college. It will be very, very important for our kids to work during their time in college. They don't need a full-time job or anything like that. Getting a part-time job or internships gives them perspective on the real working world that college just can't provide. Also, by the time they're in their late teens and early 20s, we're going to start transferring over some of the financial responsibility of college back over to them. We may have enough to cover their tuition, fees, and books, but if they want to rent a house with some friends during college or you know, have some money to eat out, that part-time job is definitely going to come in handy as the mom and dad bank starts to run dry. This is not only going to help them financially, but it might just help our kids' grades as well. According to a research study by the National Center for Educational Statistics, Students who work part-time, that's 20 hours or less, receive better grades. See? It's a win-win for everyone. Those were the five ideas that we're using to help our kids graduate college debt-free. Number one, start a 529 college savings plan. Number two, encourage kids to work and contribute. Number three, have your teens apply for scholarships. Number four, go for two years of community college first. And then number five, encourage working during college. Now, do I expect to pull all five of these levers perfectly to get our kids to be college debt-free? I don't think so. But if we are semi-successful in each of these areas, I honestly think that we can make it happen. After all, these kids of mine... I love them to pieces and they're worth it and they're worth every ounce of effort in figuring it out. All right, enough about me though. I want to hear from you. How are you helping your kids attend college in the future? This is a massive amount of money in the future that we're going to be having to handle my friends. So connect with me on social at Andy Hill MKM on all social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, etc., And shoot me a note. Or you can leave me a comment at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 152 at the bottom of the page. I would love to hear from you. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, 
reviewing coast fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for taking the time to consider our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. you like to own your home outright? What would it feel like to never make a mortgage payment ever again? On our Mortgage Freedom Series today, we're going to interview a couple that paid off their mortgage in five years and is now one step closer to financial independence because of it. Julian and Kirsten Saunders are my guests today, and they are the creators of Rich and Regular, a hot new personal finance media brand that is growing in popularity because of its honest, informative, and relevant approach to money. Julian and Kirsten's story and advice has been featured in big publications like the New York Times, Market Watch and Forbes. And when they're not talking about money, they're traveling the world and raising their son in Atlanta. Welcome to the show, Julian and Kirsten. Thank you. Hey, man, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are doing incredible things. So I'm excited to talk to you and share your awesome knowledge with everybody so they can crush their mortgage too. So when did you guys decide that you wanted to pay off your mortgage? When did we decide? So we'd heard about you know people doing this online and we're big followers of Dave Ramsey. I think, uh, I think the moment we really, really decided might have been like shortly after we got engaged. And we were so excited about you know everything. We were in Peru at the time, and uh, we were just like head over heels, you know, and, and optimistic about life. And as we were stitching things together, we said, you know what, we should totally do it. We can do it, and we did literal like 
napkin math and said, all right, if we could do that in 18 months, we were way off the schedule. But <laughs> the point was, I think we decided to do it actually shortly after we got uh, engaged. Yeah, because I had just gotten a new job. So I got a promotion and we had just finished paying off like all of our consumer debt. And obviously the honeymoon um, was a huge part of like saving. And so now that the wedding was done, the honeymoon was done, the consumer debt was done. It was like, all right, well, the only thing left is the mortgage. And so, so you guys were um, on a roll. So tell me about this yeah. consumer debt. So the consumer debt maybe was the first thing. And then, then you guys continued with the mortgage. Tell me about the consumer debt. Yeah. Um, I had a bunch of like true consumer debt, <laughs> I had credit card, car note, um, all kinds of randomness. And so we started paying that off before we actually got engaged. Um, and then Julian had some student loans, some tax debt. He had a car note, a couple other things. And so by the time we were engaged and we were about to move in together and like start to combine finances, we were like, wow, there's, there's a lot of money here with, with no direction. And so yeah. uh, it was pretty easy to, to, to figure it out. Yeah. So as you guys got turned on to the personal finance community, little Dave Ramsey, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty as charged there. So, and uh, you know, so you paid off that debt and what did you guys do to pay off? How much, how much debt did you have to combine? Ooh. So I had about $30,000. Mm-hmm. Um, most of that was credit card debt and okay. a lot of it was a car note that was a poor purchase when I was in my twenties. And then I think Julian had maybe closer to like 15 or yeah. 17. Yeah. Something like that. I'm definitely getting older cause I don't remember the exact numbers, <laughs> but I do remember in total between the mortgage tax debt, credit card debt, student loans, two car notes. It was right around $200,000. Wow. Okay. So what was the original uh, mortgage principal when you guys, when you guys started to beat it up? That was around 90, 95, 96. Okay. So about a hundred of it was um, some of the mortgage and then a lot of the other parts was the consumer debt. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a big mountain to climb, especially as you guys are getting married. So it's like, Hey, yeah. what do you have? What do I have? Let's Let's go at it together. So what were those initial conversations like when you guys got together uh, to decide to pay it off? Or, or were those rough? Were those easy? How did that go? Um, <laughs> so it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Um, and and we we're, we're going to skip that story. <laughs> um, no, it just wasn't easy. I mean, the reality was we were not on the same page at first. Um, I was the one that got sucked into this debt freedom and financial independence lifestyle before she did. But when we met, I had really uh, I was so head over heels. I kind of put all that stuff aside. You know, we were just having a good time. We were just spending and traveling and having fun. Uh, And then that kind of came to a screeching halt. And I said, hey, I got to get back to what I was doing. And I thought that I would introduce that to her and she would say, oh, that's great. And it just did not work out that way at all. Uh, And so uh, after some rough patches and some arguing and, you know, uh, we found each other again and and then we got back on the same page. (laughs) I love it. Kirsten, I think you'd really get along with my wife because Julian (laughs) Julian and I share some similar traits and uh, let's, I guess we could say we'll leave it at that, right? So Julian, what was the original trigger for you where you said, I want to kind of go down this path and, and, and make some, make some change in my finances. What was that thing that you said, wow, I, I want to do this. There were a lot of things. Um, but I think one of the big ones was I would always have this habit, you know, and I'm very driven. So I'd have this habit of looking up and looking at my manager and my manager's manager and all of these people. And I just, 
after a while, I you know, and I would do well on my jobs. And I would say, do I really want to be that person? Um, and I just more often than not would say no. What I really wanted was to have the options to, to be that person or to also be a beach bomb or to also be an activist or a writer or anything else that I wanted to do. I still have hobbies that I've not you know, gotten to explore fully yet because of this, this. And so I wanted to, um, that was the big thing. I was like, I just wanted to have some options. And I, and I knew and was hearing of all of these people that were just doing some amazing things. And I said, if they could do it, I really feel like I could do it too, or at least I should give it a try. Uh, and so that was the initial thing that just got me uh, hooked on this lifestyle. That's great. And then, and then Kirsten, what was the turning point when you had some conversations with him where you said, all right, dude, I'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was um, the first time. So like the first month that I moved in with him and I didn't have like a rent payment per mm-hmm. se. And so I started to get a taste of what it's like to not have a giant bill when it comes to your paycheck. And then as we started paying down the mortgage, I started to realize like this was what I needed to truly like buy into the fire lifestyle. Because in my head, I couldn't imagine how people were living on so little money, so few expenses every year. And then when I realized like, oh, it's because a lot of them don't have a mortgage or don't have an expensive mortgage. It was like, oh, that's how they do it. Like, that's how you can live off of, you know. $30,000 in the case of Mr. Money Mustache or, you know, some of the other popular fire bloggers. So I just needed to, I just needed like a small taste of what financial freedom felt like. I remember that moment. It's funny as she said that, cause I remember it was, it was, might've been like, makes sense about, about the, about a month in, right. Cause you go yeah. through another couple of cycles and it's like, wait a second, I used to have this big chunk of money yeah. going out. And it doesn't have anywhere to go anymore. And so what are we going to do with this? And we were thinking like, oh, my God, like, is this what everybody goes through when they start living together? You know, does this mean they just go out to eat all the time? And we could do that. But we were like, wait a second, what else could we do uh, that really sets us up for the future? And that's that was kind of that was a really interesting moment. So, well, that's good. And I'm sure those conversations started to turn at that point. So what, what were the sacrifices that you started to look at or the changes in your budget at that point where you said, OK, we can pay off the mortgage, but we're going to have to do X in order to get there? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that we did was um, decide that we needed to renovate the house because one of the things that started coming up was we could pay off this mortgage or we could move somewhere else that would be a little bigger, a little more convenient, a little newer, a little less bachelor pad-ish. And so, <laughs> so we actually started planning for a renovation that would happen right after we got married. And then we would start paying down officially the mortgage. Okay. Um, but when, I don't think we sacrificed a ton. No, well, I, I mean, we ate a lot at home. We did a lot we of ate like, a lot at home. Date nights you know, at we home. still drive the same car. Yeah. You know, you drive the same car from when you were an undergrad. Yeah, I drive the same car that I drove since two thousand and nine. Yeah, um, and now I, I'm pretty sure I, I may even have like the same pair of socks. <laughs> like it's getting pretty bad at this point, but. 
but yeah, I mean, it's it's all of it's a lot of little things. You know, yeah. we haven't had cable. We just finished writing about this. Haven't had cable. I don't even remember. Like, I've got to actually look at like an old credit stock card statement to think about the last time I saw Comcast on a, on a bill. We haven't had cable in years. Yeah. Um, but it was really just a matter of going through every single line item and, and thinking about how important that was to us. Like, did it make us feel good to spend money towards that thing? Uh, and was spending money towards that thing more valuable than the alternative, which for us was buying our freedom sooner rather than later. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it sounds like it was maybe more intentionality and, you know, maybe not increasing your, your lifestyle, lifestyle creep, as opposed to major sacrifices. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I think was really important is that it wasn't everything. Right. And so we eat a lot at home, but we try to eat well. You know, and we like to have wine. In fact, we're looking at a bottle right now. That we're getting, we're getting hey, man, to. I will pause this podcast. You guys go get that wine and enjoy it right now. But, you know, we, it's important to us. We enjoy wine. We enjoy good coffee. And, you know, there are things that we do enjoy uh, that we make a point not to uh, to cut out of our, our lives because, we you know, it'll just make us miserable. Yeah. So there's lots of tricks that people can do or tactics that people can do as they're, you know, doing a big financial challenge like this. Did you guys budget together? Did you use any fintech tools or tactics? Tell us about, you know, the tools of the trade. Yeah. So I'm a pen and paper girl. Uh And so (laughs) I would buy these, um, there's like these teardown sheets that are hundred day countdowns that are available on like Amazon or Barnes and Noble. But we would create like these hundred day sprints and it would be like a hundred days from now, we'll only owe, you know, 76,000 instead of 82,000 or whatever it is. And so we celebrate, we find, we create these milestones to actually have something to celebrate. Otherwise it felt like a really long journey that was never going to end. So we would kind of manifest by writing in advance, like in a hundred days, we should be at this point. And if we're not, then we have to hold ourselves accountable um, but every day I would tear down another day and say we're, you know, 76 days away from only owing $76,000. <laughs> That's super cool. There's something there's something so, I guess, pleasurable about physically grabbing something and ripping it off the wall as opposed to like some app where you're like, donk, you know, hit a button or something like that. So my wife and I did the same thing. Well, not exactly the same thing. We had a whiteboard and we would write things on there and it felt really good to check things off or erase them, you know, some sort of... <laughs> I don't know. There's something about that. So I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, During the process, I understand that you guys welcomed a a new life into the world, you know, as you guys were paying off this mortgage. How did that change the process during the the pay down process? Yeah, it definitely slowed things down for a while because like Julian said, we were way off on our predictions. Like we started out super ambitious, like 18 months from now, we're going to be mortgage free. And really it was more like 25 to 30 months later. (laughs) But (laughs) when I had Bo, um, I had him in April of 2017. Obviously, I went on maternity leave and my my company doesn't offer like a full, unfortunate 12 paid weeks of maternity. And so my 12 weeks was kind of stitched together of like vacation, 60 percent pay here, 40 percent pay here. And then a couple of weeks of like absolutely no pay whatsoever. And so that slowed us down a bit. Um, But then when I went back to work, we kind of tweaked some things. And then we had all of the new expenses that come with going back to work and having to pay for childcare and, you know, just as your baby grows, they start to eat more and there's just all sorts of other new costs. And so 
at the end of the day, it didn't really derail anything. It just slowed us down and we ended up paying it off five months later after he was born. Wow. Okay. So it was, it was very close after he was born. How did you guys handle uh, childcare? Cause I understand you guys both work. Is that right? Yep. Um, so when Bo was first born, um, our mothers would watch him. So we, we would pay, uh, Julian's mom to watch him a couple of days a week. And then my mom would take the other few days a week. And so he was in, in home care, which was, which was us and great for our budget. God bless family. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's the bonus of living close to the in-laws, right? Yeah, yes. man. Yes. It does have its challenges. It does. It does. <laughs> you got you to find that, that fine distance, right? Close enough where they can help out with the child, but not too close where they can just pop by every day, right? Yeah, yeah there was a lot of moms in the house yeah. <laughs> all the time. Every, oh. just like literally a revolving door because they would do every other day except yeah. for like weekends but even some weekends because they were you know they were first-time grandparents and they were super excited and so they, even over the weekends we always would have someone over um just to stare at him because you know he didn't do anything he just sat there like a baby <laughs> how old's your son now uh he's two and almost two and a half that's yeah. great wow right. that's awesome so so you said five months after that so you paid it off in 2017 is that right Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. September seventh, twenty seventeen, on my birthday. It's your birthday, yeah. You said September twenty seventh. Is that right? September seventh. September seventh. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Excellent. Did you guys do anything at that point? I know you're into wine. Did you do anything to celebrate uh, the big day? <laughs> I want to say we well, we did buy. We bought. That's what it was. We bought a case of <laughs> of, of really good wine because yeah. we would normally. You know, whenever we would celebrate, it would be, you know, whether it's like a birthday or like a big financial milestone, we would get uh, like a really nice bottle of wine. But to celebrate the mortgage payoff, we got a case of really good wine so that for the next month, we, w- we were just always drinking like really, really good wine, which makes me sound like a bit of a lush <laughs> now. But for us, it was like really awesome because it was like, you know, it was like coming home to top shelf wine. It was. It was awesome. We haven't done that since, actually. I don't no, think. we haven't. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what we did to celebrate. And we did a couple other things, too. I think we went to have some really nice dinners, but it was more important to us to just imagine what it would feel like to just have like celebrations whenever you wanted because, you know, we would celebrate with really good bottles of wine. Mm-hmm. And so to just have it there at all points, uh, at any time of the evening, I almost said day, <laughs> but, you know, that was the big thing for us. That's incredible. So there, there's something about the financial independence community, the FIRE community, that uh, there's all sorts of different stories. What, what I'm hearing from you guys, though, is that it's very important for you to continue to enjoy your life, whether it's wine or vacations or you know time with friends, time with family, while pursuing your dreams. So what changes are you guys making now that you're mortgage-free? I guess it's been a couple of years. What changes have you made in your finances or just in your life in general to ride that balance? I think the biggest thing we've done is going back to when we paid off the mortgage in 2017, it's, it's one given us freedom, which I think is obvious, but I think the result of that freedom is that it's given us the courage um, and the ability to absorb more risk. And so we've got these ideas for businesses and just interesting things in our minds. It's, you know, cause we're, we're creative people. And so now we have the ability to actually invest and to do those things the right way. And so we've been able to do that as opposed to those being ideas that just sit, 
you know, in a Google Doc somewhere, but never really come to fruition. Um, and so now we've the blog has gone from being a hobby to something that we believe can be a business for us. And we want to be just like you and help people, you know, make better decisions uh, with their money and, and try to experience some of the joy that we've uh, experienced along the way. That's great. Yeah. What, what are the, some of the exciting conversations that you've been involved with? I know that um, you guys have definitely a different angle, which I really appreciate. Uh, what are some of the conversations that have been most exciting to you that you've been involved with? Um, so the biggest one, I think, is around the idea of breadwinning. Um, because, you know, as much as, you know, at the heart of our uh, message we're talking about money we actually try not to overtly talk about money uh, because money impacts every aspect of your life and so what we've learned is to talk more about culture to talk more about society and systems that are at play that are impacting our lives uh, and then weave in tiny messages about money throughout the way uh, along the way um, but one of the most interesting conversations that continues to come up is around breadwinning and this idea of men always being the breadwinner. In this case, Kirsten is the breadwinner um, and has been for quite some time. And we celebrate that. <laughs> and we know there are a few other people in personal finance that celebrate that. Um, but we want more people to celebrate that. And we want more men specifically uh, to be, I, I mean, it almost feels weird saying to be okay with that because in reality, if you're a partner and you're blending your lives, you really need to sort of um, overcome some of these old ideas uh, that we attach to money and earning and the value or the importance of, 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 of yourself as a result of that. Mm-hmm. That's a great conversation to be a part of and to continue to um put forward. I know Farnoosh Tarabi is a, a big leader in that movement too, as an author of a book that's specifically around that. So I think you guys would have a great conversation, Kirsten, for sure. Um, yeah. One question I had, you know, a lot of people listen to these conversations about paying off your mortgage. And some people think, well, why wouldn't you just invest that money? The stock market's going nuts. Why would you pay off your mortgage instead of investing it? So what would you say yeah. to that? <laughs> I think ours was more emotional than mathematical. And that's something that we talk about on the blog as well, that everything is not just number crunching when it comes to money. Some things have to feel aligned to the goals that you have for your life. And so when we think about our family situation, um, we, we write about this on our blog all the time. We have financially insecure family members. And so the idea of always having a home that we owned, always being able to put a roof over somebody's head is something that There's no stock market return that can give me that same feeling and comfort and security of knowing that we have this asset that can, you know, benefit other family members. Yeah. But I think it's a personal choice. I mean, that's the beauty of personal finance is that everybody can pick the path that's best for them. We also, one of the other interesting things that we've been involved in is just questioning the 4% rule. And while we use it as a framework, we're not relying on it. We're not building our entire FI, you know, strategy around this, this golden rule. It's just one of those things that for us, it, when, when we reach financial independence, obviously there will be math involved, but it's going to be more of a feeling. It's going to be, do we feel confident that we can make money and that we can manage our expenses in a way that allows us to not have to work? Also, you know, one of the other, you know, criticisms of, of the movement is, you know, it doesn't account for all of these things. And, yeah. you know, most of them are like healthcare related. But it's true, right? There are a lot of things that could happen, right? I mean, something tragic could happen 
five minutes from now. And so for us, it was a matter of insulating ourselves from some of these issues and saying, no matter what, we do know that we own that place and we've lived in that place and we're comfortable there. And if everything just kind of went to crap, we'd be (laughs) able to go somewhere and have a roof over our heads that we could live in and that our son could live in and everything would be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so right now we actually use that property. It's a rental property for us. And so we earn income from that home um, and it's been occupied, you know, since we've left it. And so it's, we don't regret that decision uh, one bit, but to Kirsten's point, that's a personal decision based on, you know, our beliefs and our values. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you, you had that home as your primary residence. Now it is a rental property. I understand that's not just your only rental property. You have, do you have have two? Yes, we have two. two. Okay, great. Where are you living now? (laughs) (laughs) So we moved into a home about seven miles away from our old one. Yeah. Um, This still has a mortgage on it. So we're not completely mortgage free, but the income from our rental properties offsets the majority of this mortgage. And so what we pay on the note is, is minor. Yeah. That's awesome. So you got, you got done with that bachelor pad then Kirsten, huh? you're, you're ready to, yes. ready to get out of there. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Our story is so similar to yours. It's crazy. She moved in with me, Julian, and she's like, this is nice. I'm going to try to update this as best I can. And a couple of years later, she's like, dude, we're done with this place. We're going, we're moving, we're moving to the nicer suburb, better schools, yep. seven miles away. No joke. It's the same deal. And, uh, I'm, I'm very happy. You know what? My wife pushes me in the right direction. I'll just say that. Yeah, I don't regret that decision. You know, I was rubbed the wrong way at first because, you know, I I took pride in my furniture choices. But now looking back, I'm like, okay, you you, you definitely know better than I do in this area. You can you can get what you want. (laughs) That's great. Well, talk to me about your financial independence plans now. I know we're skirting around a little bit right now. You've got two rental properties. You guys are building a, a business that you like. Talk to me about your, you know, your general plans for financial independence, because that, that's a really exciting conversation for people, especially couples. Yeah. yeah, listen, the general plan is, you know, we're very fortunate, very happy that we've essentially already, in the traditional sense, saved for our retirement. Our goal is to just make sure that we don't have to touch that money. And so it is growing uh, in the background. Uh, and our goal right now is to basically pad or what's referred to as a bridge fund. And that's the money that we know that we can live on between now and when we can withdraw funds from those traditional retirement accounts without penalty. Um, but if all goes well, we won't have to worry about that either. Our goal is to continue uh, for as long as we have the energies is just keep on finding ways to earn income um, at what we consider a fair exchange of time um, and to be able to have options. Again, we want to be able to say what we've got an online business, maybe we have a franchise or two, we have rental properties, properties. we've got a number of different things going on uh, at at any given point in time um, that earn income for us. And taxable accounts that we could draw down from, but hopefully the goal is to not have to you know, as much as possible. Correct. And, and that's not to disregard, let's say, the traditional path, which is just save and invest as much as you can and just keep it simple. You know, we do respect the fact that people do like to work and we like to work too. Um, but we do like to have options. And so for us, it's a matter of saying, all right, can we build enough businesses or micro enterprises that 
give, uh, give us the flexibility uh, to offset some taxes and also to earn uh, some income and not have to dabble into any of our uh, tax deferred accounts. And that bridge fund, does that live in just like a savings account or is that invested in the market? How, how do you define that? It's a combination of things. And so it's going to be a checking account, a savings account, but uh, mostly a separate brokerage fund. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I, I I don't think there's any one way to do this. And I love what you guys are describing, this sort of multi, you know, income diversification, like whatever, five to 10 different ways to to bring in a micro amount of money to, to live your life. It's, it's, I mean, that sounds like what you're describing, right? Yeah, yeah. We know the way we think about it is we want more people to fall out of love with the idea of a six-figure job and to fall more in love with creating, let's say, ten ten thousand dollar micro enterprises. Yeah. Right? You don't have to be the best at any of these things, but if it earns ten thousand dollars at what you consider to be a fair exchange of time, that to me is way better than the stress, the inconvenience, and the constraints that oftentimes come with that big, big job. Uh, And it's also a lot easier for you, we found, to grow, let's say, that $10,000 business to a $20,000 business than it is for you to get a $10,000 or $20,000 raise at a job. Because those those roles aren't even available. And if you do get it, that comes with a boatload of more stress mm-hmm. and, and inconveniences. And it, it, there's no such, well, let me not say there's no such thing as a dream job. For some people, there is a dream job, but I do think that they oftentimes also have an expiration date on it. And yeah. so we recognize that. We've seen that. We've heard those stories. We're simply building a plan that protects us and, and allows us to tap into our skills so that we can live the life that we want to live. And I think we also want to just evolve the language and the meaning of retirement. I think there's this idea that if you're retired, that means you can no longer earn any money. And that's just not true. Julian's dad is yeah. 83. He's not worked in 20 years, but he does taxes every year and he earns income from that. And that doesn't make him any less retired than, you know, the other 83 year old guy that lives across the street. And so just the idea that the, the language hasn't kept up with you know, this new economy and and the way that people are making ends meet or reclaiming their time um, is sad. And so we just want to we just want to be an example for that and sort of challenge people to say retirement doesn't mean that you can't still earn money. You guys are being a great example for it. And you're drinking great wine while you're doing it. So I'm (laughs) I'm proud of you guys. This is awesome, man. This is cool. Well, I really appreciate you guys connecting, inspiring us on how to pay off your mortgage and then how to move in a unique way to financial independence because I really like what you guys are doing. So where can people connect with you, follow you, learn more about you? Yeah, so we're online at richandregular.com and then we're also on social media. Our handle is richandregular on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Killing it on Instagram, everybody. Check them out. They're doing lots of fun stuff. I love following what they're doing, especially with their uh, rental properties and all the other exciting things they've got going on. So thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining me and uh, having this message with us. Thank you. Andy, thank you. Thank you. When mortgage freedom and financial independence intersect, I absolutely love it. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Julian and Kirsten Saunders. Number one, analyze your spending. 
the best place to start when you're thinking about debt freedom, paying off your mortgage, or achieving financial independence is with tracking your spending. Julian and Kirsten use this simple superpower to grab a hold of their spending and achieve their big goals. Number two, take the feel-good test. Julian and Kirsten mentioned they looked at their spending and asked themselves, does this make me feel good? Am I happy spending my money on this? With those questions out there, they dialed back on things they didn't need or enjoy, but then kept spending on things that made them feel good, like travel, good wine, and of course, their new son. Number three, mortgage freedom opens your mind. The possibilities of what you want to do, what you want to be, or where you want your family to go become much more clear when you're mortgage free. Julian and Kirsten had that epiphany moment, and now they are on a path to financial independence that just seems to inspire them more and more every day. Julian and Kirsten, thank you so much for sharing your advice, your story, and congratulations on your mortgage freedom. Oh, and huge props for winning the Plutus Award this year for Blog of the Year. Yes, Blog of the Year. Seriously, my friends, you need to check them out at richandregular.com. Truly inspiring stuff. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, connect with me on Facebook or Instagram at Andy Hill MKM. That's Andy Hill MKM. Number two, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And then the last thing, number three, share this episode with a friend who wants to take control of their money and achieve mortgage freedom, just like Julian and Kirsten did. You can find this show and all the links and resources mentioned at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 152. That's 152. And if you're new to the show, I would highly recommend you check out session 116, the 10 steps to young family wealth and happiness. You can find that at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 116. It is a great place to start. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Seth Godin. The only thing worse than starting something and failing is not starting something. It's time to start, my friends. Carpe diem! 